it's a topic that we're all experts on. It's that odd, mixed up bunch of misfits, better known as racing drivers. You'd probably say that this, these last couple of years, Andrew Jordan's been my kind of, um, you know, uh, nemesis. not nemesis. Yeah, nemesis, as it were. <laughs> no, you I, know. I have had my fair running with a lot of people over the years uh, in BTCC um, and outside of BTC as well, but probably the one which would, you know, it would be Jason. Do you know what? I came to the conclusion there was more mileage in being the bad guy than there wasn't in being the good, good guy. And that then set my foundations, if you like. Everyone that's a, a, a constant thorn in my side be, becomes the enemy. And um, I just found it, that that was the best way for me to, to be because, I, you know, honestly, I don't trust any racing drivers when I'm racing. And welcome to Gridwalk Talk, the podcast discussing all things tin top, brought to you by Honda and Team Dynamics. I'm Louise Goodman, ITV's British Touring Car Championship reporter. And once again, I'm joined by two of the top guys in the series. Two top guys all round, in fact. It's Honda Uasa Racing's Matt Neal and Dan Camish. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good day, Lou. Yeah, afternoon. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you. It, it feels like it's taken ages, but finally the motorsport world is, is now coming back to life. We recorded the first couple of podcasts before you went to the, to the pre-season test at Snetterton. How did it feel to be back on track? Maggie, you were telling us last time out that you were a bit nervous about it. Yeah, I was. It was, um, you know, because I, 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 I broke my shoulder in uh, January, I hadn't had much time in the car. And so... Um, I'd had, I've had one day, or I had, I'd had one day since last October when we finished, and I was nervous, if I'm honest. You soon get back in the groove of it, but, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to drive a, a car. I always said, you know, racing a car and, and driving a car fast are two totally different things. You know, and when you race a car, and others will, you know, will back me up on this, you, you've got to figure out what makes a car dance, you know, because it's up on its tiptoes all the time, and it's, it's trying to figure out the car as much as anything, and that's that's a real mental game. Dan, you were saying you thought everybody might be a bit mad once they could have came out of lockdown and got behind the wheel again. Was was that? Did your predictions come true? What in in, in the test? Yeah. Um, to be honest, everyone was. I thought everyone was quite well behaved for the. T I mean, it's only a test day. Um, but the conditions were atrocious, to be honest. Um, the, the standing water in places, especially Corum, which is uh, not the not the uh, the most well, not the most easy car on on a good day. Um, yeah, it was 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 pretty terrible. So, uh, but no, there was very few red flags, very few issues. So, yeah, everyone must have been keeping themselves in check. Just waiting, obviously, just waiting for August. <laughs> well, sadly, there were no fans at the test this year, obviously, because of the restrictions. But we've got them uh, invited in our Grid Walk Talk podcast. So thanks again um, for all the questions and comments you've sent in. I'll be putting those to Matt and Dan later on and to our special guest, whose identity is going to remain a mystery for a little bit longer. But what I can tell you right now is what we're all going to be chatting about. It's a topic that we're all experts on. It's that odd, mixed up bunch of misfits, better known as racing drivers. I thought you were going to say Toka then. <laughs> no racing drivers. So James Hunt first turned me onto racing when I was a kid. Um, and he's still way up there on my list of favourite drivers. Who, who first turned your head? Who was it inspired you and gave you the racing bug? Uh, go on then, Dan. Start. All right, Dan, Dan you start. Um, you know what? I'm not really sure. If it, I, for me, it was, um, you know, my dad was, was, was the guy that really got me into motor racing. He was a... He was a huge motorsport fan um, growing up. Um, he used to do the paper round every week, and he used to, the money he got from it. He actually used to um, to spend on the art sport magazine. Um, so he was just a massive racing fan, and he never really got a chance to get, to have a go himself. Um, but once I was old enough, um, Tom got a karting. He just couldn't wait to let me have a go. I mean, I used to watch um, growing up with him. Um, you know, Formula One stuff, but I wouldn't say there was any particular driver. I mean, I was growing up about the time that Schumacher was sort of dominating and um, I was a bit too young to catch Senna. You know, I was only five when Senna died, so a bit too young for that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of the Schumacher era that I grew up with. Um, 
and obviously he was just just brilliant and sort of dominated the sport for a long time. Um, but obviously uh, Matt in 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 touring cars was doing such a good job at that point, um, sort of the early two thousands, and and yeah, that that was about it really. So. I won't say that I've I've really looked up or followed anyone to be honest. That was kind of, you know, my dad got me going in it, and from there I've, I've just been in it really. So it was like you saw somebody and wanted to be them. No, I wouldn't say I did to be honest. Um, that wasn't really how it happened for me. I think motorsports quite um, it's quite a unique thing, isn't it? Unless you kind of led it a little bit at the start into it. Um, it's not something, it's not a pair of football boots where you can go down the park and play with your friends. It's sort of something you have to actively get involved in. Um, and for me, it was my dad that got me involved. What about you, Matt? Well, I guess that was you. your dad was influential as well with you, wasn't he? He was influential, but I, I wanted to go racing on my own. I think he took me to a couple of Grand Prix in the mid-70s, um, where it was the louder hunt era. And I was always a louder fan, if I'm honest. I don't know why, uh, whether it was a Ferrari or the style of driving or what, but... So, um, yeah, I, I remember that and uh, I, I remember it was so accessible then, you know, you could actually go and wait outside their motorhome for Emerson Fittipaldi, Nicky Lauda or anything. And they'd stop and they were friendly and they'd smile and sign your autograph. I've still got the autograph book now. I've gone to throw it away so many times and I just can't bring myself to it. I just you can't throw that away. Put it back in the drawer and, and keep it, um, yeah, to pass down. Um, but and the, in touring cars, um, it may sound stupid, but when I was young, touring cars wasn't on TV, you know, not like it is now. Um, so I can remember, again, my dad took me to Silverstone to the Tourist Trophy, and you've got the, the likes of, um, you've got the, um, the CSL BMWs against the, the broad speed big cats, Jaguars. And so you've got Joachim Masvi, um, you know, there would be John Fitzpatrick and Andy Rouse, and there's a whole sort of malarkey of people then so um that was quite special but i i guess once i'm up and running i i you know we, we might laugh about this i found nigel mansell quite inspirational yeah because, <laughs> okay i'm laughing at that uh, I, I thought why because he was not not always in the best car but he was always a fighter he when, was. He was up, when he was in that car he was a fighter and you knew he, he'd give it his all and and you the sparks would fly and you know it was um Get him out of the car, he used to hobble around a bit, but you know, but in the car, he was, he was a magician. They didn't call him Ilione when he was in Ferrari for nothing. He was, he was passion, he was so passionate about it. So yeah, you're right, in the paddock, a slightly different animal. Um, but yeah, he was, he, was, he was definitely, he couldn't fault his passion in any way, shape or form. So he was, was he inspirational for you as a youngster or you just admired what he was doing? No, I think he was pretty inspirational. He's, you know, he's got to be quite a special guy because he's a scratch golfer. You know, he won the Senior Masters a few years back. He's in the Magic Surf. You know, whatever he turns his hand to, the bloke's actually good at it, very good at it. So, um, you know, we can all pick faults with all of us. Um, I found him inspirational. Well, and that's where, I, you know, when I, when I was coming up through the starts in touring cars, for a long time, I wasn't in a good car or in a car capable of winning. And I found inspiration from what he'd done because I remember when um, Formula One went to the turbo era and he was left in the normally aspirated cars and you had no chance. Um, but he was there and he was, you know, if you could get a podium and have a scrap and it was... Uh, it was, it was, yeah, I, I, I like that bit of it. What about when you actually started racing? Who were your favourite drivers to race with or race against, as the case may be? Uh, I started in one makes racing. And then w back in the, the day then, you, you had to progress through the ladder. You couldn't fast track like kids do now. They get to 17 years old and suddenly they get a, a, a pocket full of budget and they're straight in, you know, as long as they've got the, the right licence credentials. Then you had to do your do. So when I think my first race in touring cars, I would think I was 26 years old and I was the, I was the only driver on the grid under the age of 30 because you had to earn your metal. Um, so people I looked up to when I got into touring cars were the likes of Steve Soper, uh, John Clennon. I was closer to, to Steve because he was very gracious with me and he helped me out because I was in the BMW and he was always a, for a long time, a factory BMW driver. So, and he was, he was very kind to me, just sort of give me a, Nothing special, but a bit of his time and advice, and I appreciated that. What about you, Dad? Because I guess you kind of came up through the ranks watching Matt racing, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Matt and, and you know, uh, Jason were sort of the, obviously, two sort of standout guys who've, who've um, you know, everyone sort of, they were household names when I was growing up. Um, 
uh, helped a little bit by you know the the Toka the Toka uh, PlayStation series that was so popular at the time as well. Um, you know, even my my friends used to have the Toka games, and um, you know, with players Jason or Matt or which one um, were you, Matt or Jason? You know what? I wasn't. I actually used to always choose Alan Menu. <laughs> <laughs> and weirdly, when I uh, I only met Alan for the first time a couple of years ago, uh, 2018, I saw him in the paddock, and he, he came up to me and and had a bit of a chat. And I, I couldn't believe he knew who I was, but um, yeah, that was that was quite cool. So. So yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's been some big names in, in the touring cars over the last few years, but Matt, Jason, probably Alan would be uh, some of the biggest. So what was it like when you actually moved up to Team Dynamics? Were you a bit sort of awestruck in any way, sitting in a briefing with Matt for the first time? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I would say. You know, Matt's certainly someone that I've, I've looked up for many years. And before Dynamics, I've not really spoken to Matt too much. I've seen him in the paddock occasionally and sort of said hello, but no more than that. Um, so, you know, it was that first time sort of spending a lot of time with Dynamics was, um, was quite cool. And it was to go into that team as well as, as a bit of a rookie in 2018 and, and you know, straight to towing cars, straight into what is one of the, one of the best teams was, uh, was quite surreal, but also very exciting. Um, and yeah, and I, I do remember being on the grid sort of the, the first time and, um, you know, going wheel to wheel with whether it was Matt or Jason or, or some of the others thinking, bloody hell, how I ended up here. Especially when only a few years ago, my career was pretty much come to a stop. Um, I can remember sort of sitting on the sitting on the stairs with my dad with his head in his hands, thinking, that's it. You know, there's just no way forward anymore, and um, it's all it's you know the dream's kind of over of, of, of getting any further in the sport. And next minute, you're banging door door handles with uh, the touring car guys. So yeah, it just shows how things can turn around. What about your biggest rival? Who would you say, or is there anybody that you would say, Dan, has been your, your, your biggest rival as you've come up, either coming up through the ranks or now that you're in, in touring cars? Um, who have I had some big rivals with? Um, there's been some, there's been a couple along the way. Scott Malvin was, was probably one I'd single out in my single seat days. He was in Formula Ford for the two years I did it, and he was... He was really tenacious, Scott. He was, he's he's fast, and also he's he's so well suited to the to the uh, Formula Ford style type racing because he's uh, yeah he's, he's he's a real hard, tough racer. Um, and it wasn't often that I got the better of Scott to be fair in the Formula Ford days. He was he was really good. Um, a bit higher up, probably the likes of um, Muller, Michael Amamola into Porsche Super Cup was just so professional um he was so methodical the way he went about things and he was you just couldn't break him down no matter how good a job you did he did ever so slightly more and it was just it was so difficult to get on top of him he did have a lot more experience than me but still um even when i was qualifying second by a bit of a gap to the guy behind he'd done me by two thousands or three thousands and it was just the most frustrating thing um but again to your head he, to be fair, probably not. I mean, we were teammates and I was learning from him and he had so much more experience than me, like probably four or five years more experience than me at, at that level. Um, so when, you, when you're traveling around the European circuits and you only get such a short amount of time in Supercup, half an hour testing, uh, half an hour quality in one race. Um, so when you go into somewhere like Monaco, where you only get to see it once a season, um, experience is just so important. So I wasn't, I wasn't too upset. Um, you'd probably say that this, these last couple of years, Andrew Jordan has been my kind of, um, you know, uh, nemesis. not nemesis, yeah, nemesis as it were, <laughs> you know, we've, we've had some run-ins me and Andy, but um, off the track, we're great, you know, we got on quite well, uh, I think he's a really good guy, uh, I've got no issue at all with Andy, but um, but on track we've had a few little bumps, and at the, at the end of the day, we, we both want what's best for ourselves and for the team, so we're uh, we're not prepared to roll over, and that's the job at the end of the day. If I was, if I was going to roll over, then I won't be. Uh, I won't be in team for that. What about you, Matt? Who's your nemesis? Do I need to ask? Uh, it's a bit of a silly question, isn't it? The, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I have had my fair running with a lot of people over the years uh, in BTCC um, and outside of BTC as well. But probably the one which would, you know, it would be Jason. Um, just, I think we're almost quite similar animals. Um, with, and we were both a little bit mischievous, 
So he did no. something to me and I, I'd take it the wrong way. And then I'd do something which amused me to him and he'd almost take it the wrong way. But I, I used to really take it personally. And then I figured out that it wasn't being personal. That's just Jason. The, he's a competitive animal. And when, when he's faced with someone who's an adversary, he'll go to any length to win. You know, that's what, that's what it takes. And that's why he's got how many ever... 6,000 wins or something in British touring cars. Um, so then when Dan, Dan's come into the team, and I've tried to brief him on this, because I've learned as you get older, you get wiser, don't you? And I, I've actually said to him, you know, when you get, you will get hits out there, but don't, don't take it personally. You know, they're just, um, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. They're just trying to, trying to move up the field and, and get past you. It's just, just you've you've got to not take it personally and get emotional about it. You've just got to get on with the job. Um, yeah, and sort of do as I say, not as I've done, sort of thing, <laughs> which is easy said. Um, I've, well, I will still have my moments. And, you know, we turn the clock forward now to, to, to now. And I know if I get a hit off Jason, he probably means it. When some of the other clowns we've got racing with us that... I do think they don't mean it, that it's actually just a genuine miscalculation or whatever. But now, nowadays, I feel I can race with Jason and, and trust him. Did I ever think I'd say that? <laughs> do you know what? This sounds like a perfect time to bring in our special guest. Um, he is a two-time British touring car champion with, um, I think it was, you said 6,000 or something wins to his credit. Um, it is, of course, Jason Plato. Hi, Jason. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. So do you mean it? I think Matt summed it up right, you know, in the heat <laughs> of battle. Um, you know, you try and find anything which might give you a little bit of an edge. And if, if that means, you know, you're, you know, you're slightly skullduggerous uh, and you try and get underneath people's skin, then, then you do so. But, you know, back in those days, and, and Matt's right, of, of late, we've shared lots of bits of tarmac and actually not touched each other um, on, on many, many, many occasions. But back in those days, I don't know what, I, I, I'm not sure why it was, but it was very intense, the competition between wherever I was, which was predominantly society in those days, and, and Honda. And, uh, yeah, it did boil over on on occasions and and which i'm sure both of us looking back at certain points would go oh yeah i'm not not so not so proud of that and you know another thing matt said earlier was you know as you do get a bit older you get a bit wiser and maybe you start to reflect on things but honest honestly it was all good sport it was all good sport and and occasionally it did get a bit fruity i you, you kind of get on with each other pretty well now I get that impression anyway it, it's sort of well you're both older and a bit wiser as, as you've said and I always got the impression there was a bit of kind of pantomime villains going on in there as well you know you, you know it made for for good telly it's, I'm not suggesting you pumped up your rivalry it was a, a proper rivalry but you didn't try to play it down either did you either no, of you no no not at all and 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 you know th this goes back to you know, my, my, my thoughts on it, my theories on it, and my strategy on it go back to when I was, I did the test with Williams at the end of 96 after winning the Spiders. And, you know, I was, I was back then Renault UK's golden boy, if you like. And I, so I knew I had them pushing and they were pumping in a lot of my, my money to Williams. And I know I did the test and I did, I know I did great. And then to be told by Frank a couple of weeks afterwards that, you know, that, Quite honestly, JP, you did a great job. There's nothing you could have done to get the drive because we need someone with profile. And we're going to go for, you know, uh, um, either morbid Delia failed F1 driver, uh, or in my opinion, or someone certainly on their way down in their career. And Jean-Christophe Bouillon, who had tried to get F1, didn't really make it. He was their test driver. But ultimately, the, me the message was, we want someone with the profile. And you haven't got that, so it doesn't matter how good, good you are, the drive's not yours. And that really stuck in in my head, and consequently, when when you know I managed to get the, the Williams drive sorted, um, that was still very much at the forefront of my mind, and, and that I needed a profile, and I needed to make sure um, that if 
anything was being talked about, I was. And, you know, honestly, we worked out there was there would be more mileage in me being honest to myself. And what I mean by that, that is a lot of the other, a lot of F1 drivers or drivers were coming through. They were just homogenized, dull, vanilla, ice cream kind of guys. But underneath that, they weren't actually. You know, you know DC. DC back when he was at McLaren, I mean, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But, you know, if there's anyone that's raspberry ripple underneath, it's him. And yet I looked at, could I, could, could I try and round off all the edges and not be outspoken and, and not be a bit of a villain? Or am I better suited doing that? And do you know what? I came to the conclusion there was more mileage in being the bad guy than there wasn't in being the good, good guy. And that then set my foundations, if you like, and I played to it and it worked. And I played to it some more and it worked. But you're right, you know, the rivalry between me and Matt and also me and Alan and me and Ivan Muller, you know, they, they, they weren't, you know... They were, and you and Jimmy T and me, you yeah. and... Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. How many other drivers can we list off here? Jason Plato and Phil uh, and Everyone that's a, a, a constant thorn in my side be, becomes the enemy. And um, I just found that, that that was the best way for me to, to be because, I, you know, honestly, I don't trust any racing drivers when I'm racing. Because it's just not, that's not the way it works. You know, racing drivers are just trying to shaft you all the time. I will say that over the years, you know, for TV, agro puts bums on seats. Yeah. And so the, we, we used to, we've had some good journos, you know, in, in, involved in British touring cars over the years. And I mean, I remember one guy, Mark Fogarty, Jason, he was genius, wasn't he? Yeah. He would, yeah. he would go to him. You hadn't said a word and he'd go to Jason and say, oh, Matt said this, <laughs> put a microphone and a camera in your face. And then you yeah. do the reverse back and then you just immediately put your back up. And then I can remember me and Jace being marched into the steward's office. Cause normally you go before the clerk of the course and a little committee, whether they're going to do you or not. And then if you appeal that it starts to get expensive and you end up in the steward's office uh, for the, with the, in front of the MSA stewards. One time we, we were just frog marched straight to the steward's office. We didn't even go near the clerk of the course and they're telling us what idiots we've been. You know, you can have a thousand pound fine. You can have a, Right, we walk out, 100 metres away, the ITV guys are going there, lads, that was brilliant, can you do it again next week? <laughs> you know, there's a mix, yeah. Yeah, there's a devil if you do, the devil if you don't, there's a mixed message here, but what's good for the championship isn't always good for the sport. That's yeah, true. I think that's a fair comment, you know, I can remember another occasion, me and you, Matt, sat in Alan Gow's bus, where Alan was saying, look, can you just calm it down a bit? And we both turned around and went, mate, you can't have it both ways. You, you can't you can't rev it up uh and then when it gets a bit saucy just ask us to turn the dial down a bit because the dial's up now um but yeah i mean it, it made good tv it it uh, you know i certainly think our rivalry did put bums on seats on so, so, sofas and did put you know spectators paying money to come and see it because it can was exciting can we ever see you buying into any of this dan and the man goes wild. It's, it's certainly something I've looked at. I mean, you know, I think. <laughs> I, I, think I, like you, I like that. It is. I have. You know, I've, I've sort of sat, and you've got to know where you fit, haven't you? you know, if you've yeah. got, if you've got this, you know, I think I've got the speed and the talent to 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 go all the way and, and, and to be champion of the British touring cars. But there's more to there's more to being in this game than than just how fast you can drive a car, as Jason just said. So, you know, I have looked closely at what Jason's done and. You know, I, I don't want to say whether he has or hasn't, but he alludes to himself. He's sort of played a little bit of a pantomime villain at times. And it's it's clear if you look at the stands that you're either a Jason Plato fan or you're not a Jason Plato fan. And sometimes you meet them and you ask why, and they don't even know why. They just, they've just bought into it, really. They've never even met Jason, you know, face to face. But they, it's almost like football fans. They can be really um, quite tribal about it. You know, if you're a Matt fan, you're a Jason fan, you're an Andrew Jordan fan. Um, even though they don't actually know you personally. Obviously, Jason's done really well off that, you know, by, by playing up to that, that villain character. And, you know, he's kept himself at the, you know, the top of the British Touring Car Championship for many years, you know, top of people's, um, you know, thoughts, top of the, you know, top of the fans' favourites and stuff. And, and that's worked for him, really. So, um, 
credit to him for that one. Um, I, can, I can honestly say that Jason is one of the few times run-ins with him, one run-in with him when I was pleading for points to go on my license. Because we used to have a point system in BTC where you get up to 12, you get three points for a standard incident. <laughs> and you get 12, you get up to 12 and you're banned. Right, I knew Jason was on nine points. We all knew Jason was on nine points because he'd been getting <laughs> stuck into everybody. And I had hit him at Snetterton, but then he'd retaliated to me. And so then I was going to, they hauled me up to the Toka bus and um, I knew if I could get points on his license, he was going to be banned and we, we really weren't getting on at this point. So they said, right, we're going to bust you and all this. And I went, uh, yeah, that's fine. That's great. Because if you bust me, Right. Um, you've yeah. got to do him for retaliation and retaliation you've always told me is worse than the incident itself <laughs> and their faces just dropped and they went right everyone at the office they came back they wheeled us both back in right you've got to behave yourself lads no 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 I want the points give me the points yeah, yeah well you know that, you know the, the good thing is we, 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 we can be honest about it now and um, because you know, like I said a minute ago, by and large, you know, in the heat of the battle, I don't trust anybody. And, and, and I think, you know, when, when you spend a bit of time in the steward's bus, and do you know what? I know what happens in car, like Matt does, like Dan does. And I know if I've been a bit naughty, you just know. But when you go in the steward's bus, that, that more than often than not doesn't come across. <laughs> and people tell fibs. And then the team stick up, you know, their respective teams stick up for them. And, and make no mistake, it's not just us. I mean, you want to sit in a bus with Dick Bennett's and 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 listen to the <laughs> that comes out of his mouth when he's protecting his driver. <laughs> That's just the way it works. It's it's you know it's a court of law and you play everything you possibly can to get your man off whatever misdemeanour he may or may or not have done. That's just how so, it is. So it's not so just us. It just isn't just us. Everyone's at it. So that's naughty boys on the track. What about naughty boys off the track? Who are the racing drivers, the naughtiest racing drivers that you've you've had fun with over the years? I, I that would that's a, we're breaking the golden rule. What what's on tour stops there? We can't possibly divulge <laughs> that. That's a first. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we we all subscribe to that view. You know, if but, something happens abroad, then it stays abroad. Well, yeah, but you, yeah, I don't. We don't necessarily need all the details, but just a little, a few stories. Like Tomo, for example. I don't know Tomo terribly well because he was in touring cars before I was. But I've seen him at a few sort of sport awards. <laughs> he, to me, seems like a very, very naughty boy. He's very yeah. special. He's very, very special man. Is Tomo? I love him to bits, uh, as I think Matt does and anyone that spends any time with him he's a he's a fruitcake he's i actually worry about james and i've i've rang him up trying to give him a file the talk a few times yeah. and he just goes yeah yeah it's matt it's all under control i'm this i'm doing that then i see completely the opposite going on and it's just yeah. well, we, well we've had conversations together about that haven't we about having a little word with jimmy and trying to calm him down because it's all right when you're in your 20s and your 30s doing that it's probably okay just in your 40s but uh but jimmy's jimmy you know i i i'll never forget i it was 2002 i wasn't racing because i'd been sacked by Vauxhall, and i was at matthew flanagan's wedding which is a, 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 a combined friend friend of all of us and it was down in epsom uh at the race course in some big you know exhibition hall or you know wedding venue and it was a friday night it was about two o'clock in the morning and jimmy was absolutely fully lit well it was alton park the following day and we kind of all of us said we've got to get him in the cab we've got to get him in the cab so we managed to cajole him we stuck him in the cab at about three o'clock by the time he got in there in his black tie uh i mean it was, it was out of his tiny mind, having the whale of a time. Anyway, he, he arrived at, so the story goes, and I've heard this from Ian Harrison, and, and, and Jimmy was driving for the, in the works Foxhall team at the time at Triple Eight. <laughs> you might have even been driving for them at the time, Matt, I'm not sure. Were you there in O2? No, well, um, no, I was with, um, uh, no, where was I then? No, I was in Europe then. Ah, okay. Yeah. So anyway, so the story goes, this taxi arrived, uh, Jimmy popped out and then started walking down the paddock at say seven in the morning. 
in his DJ with a toothbrush in his top pocket, like looking like death warmed up. Ian Harrison spotted him and said, for God's sake, Jimmy, you've got, mate, we're in the car in a minute. Just go and sort yourself out. Needless to say, that afternoon, he stuck it on pole. <laughs> How'd you do that? How'd you do that? Did he have no sleep? He was, he was off his head at three in the morning. Yeah, but Jace, I, I've had one where we were racing at Alton, because when I was in Vauxhall, I think it was, you might have been 01, was the, there, it was, it was 02. Uh, I was there in the egg cars. And um, we were racing at Alton Park, and, and Jimmy's uh, first wife, she was um, a Liverpudlian. So he goes, come on, let's go out to Liverpool. Let's go out to Liverpool for the night. This is on a Saturday night. And we'd all qualified at the front because the Vauxhall was the weapon of choice then. And uh, there was me uh, and Jimmy just went out. But in the team, there was me, Jimmy, Ivan, and Paul O'Neill in his first season. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was definitely treated as the fourth, fourth member of the team. And um, anyway, we go out and we get back. And I said, I'll drive because I'm not bothered about drinking or anything. And so Jimmy's, again, getting stuck into the bars and everything. We end up rolling back at two or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and it was the days we, we were pit stops. So Jimmy does something stupid or he lines up in the wrong box. So he, in someone else's box, so he gets a drive-through penalty. I come in for the pit stop, stop in someone else's pit. Ivan <laughs> does something else stupid because he's been out like. And, and Paul O'Neill comes through and wins the race. Oh, Ian oh is that when Paul won his first race and yeah, did the tears on the podium? Epileptic with the, <laughs> the three of us to say he was, he was not happy. It was, I think that was the first time he sacked me. There was going to be a few other occasions, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 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 I mean, good company then. I'm not the only bloke that got sacked from Vauxhall. <laughs> Dan, did it, does the younger generation of drivers, are you able to have as much naughty fun as the, the older generation? Forgive me for calling you that. Um, Jason and Matt, but you kind of are it, because we live in a different age these days don't we everyone's got camera phones and social media everywhere i always get the feeling that you just can't get up to as much naughty fun as everybody used to yeah i'd, I'd say probably not really um I, I don't think it's times have changed and saying yes we have social media now um you can't do much you can't hide anything anymore it's going to come out eventually um and also now with the token obviously we're breathalyzed every morning you know i you just couldn't run the risk now. I mean, I certainly couldn't. I mean, you know, I, I worked so hard to get here. The last thing I want to do is have a bit too much to drink on a night and find out I can't go racing. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we don't have fun. There are certain times of the year where we could have some great fun. Goodwood, um, you know, is great fun. Uh, you know, BRDC events are great fun. All Sport Awards are great fun. But on a race weekend, I think those days, certainly from what I've seen, are probably gone. Um, Maybe it still happens, but but not not where I am. And to be fair as well, I'm I've only just sort of arrived at this sort of, of level, really. You know, it's two years I've been in dynamics, two years as a sort of professional racing driver, where um, I get to enjoy things a bit more. You know, I get an RV when I want to when, if I want to go to the, to the Grand Prix. Um, I get to experience things I never did. I went to the Goodwood Ball with Matt in 2018 and had an absolute mega time. You know, it was I was like a kid in a candy shop I'd never been before. It was amazing. Um, but all these experiences are really only just starting for me, to be honest. Um, so let's do this again in a few years' time, and I'll tell you. I was going to say, I'm going to check, check back on you, with you in five or six years' time. But the world's the world's changed, Lou. He's, he's right there because you know, back you go back ten years ago, there were all in camera phones or video recorders or anything like that. So when we were all at Goodwood and the Festival of Speed people were proper playing up, and I'm I'm not talking about me and Jason. I'm talking about F1 drivers, everything. You know. All, all sorts. Now you do it and there's people pull out the phones, want to get a video of you or a photo of you doing something mischievous or stupid. So you go, oh, you know something, I'll go somewhere else. So the world has changed a, a wee bit and for the better or worse, I don't, you know, that's a, a good debate. But, but also I must just clarify this, you know, there's, that's, I, I guess Matt can count on probably less than one hand where he, they've got cajoled into doing something on a race weekend. It just it didn't happen. You know, Jimmy didn't do that every weekend. I mean, I only know he did that once or twice. So let, let, let's, not, let, let's not pretend that it's a bit like the Jerry Marshall days, because that just isn't the case. You know, we all took it incredibly seriously. But certainly away from race weekends, I mean, goodness knows. I mean, <laughs> how, how, how I have a functioning liver... I don't know. I, I, how Thompson is alive, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know anyone that's hurt himself. It baffles science. He's in a bo- bo- body. I mean, yeah, you know, 97, 8 and 9, you know, first time I started to earn some, some you know, some pro- pro- proper wedge and had, you know, what wasn't concerned about going out and, you know, thousand quid on a night out. I know that sounds hideous, but, you know, was young and, and James was on a, even at a different level than that. We would be out, out just going crazy on non, non-race weekends. I mean, bonkers. bonkers. <laughs> so, yeah, there yeah. are a few few bars in Oxford as uh, have now closed since those days. Now that they're not. Well, yes, because we kept them open. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and do you know what? It was it was all of us that were in that little little gang. You know, Burnsy, God bless him, was in our little gang, and you know, Richard Burns. You're talking yeah, yeah, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, but you know, like, like I said about DC, you know, away from. You know, if you imagine what the pressures must have been like for those guys who were doing world championships, whether it be rally or, or the F1 lads, they had to be so serious because because of what it's like now for everybody, all of us, in that people are in your face all the time. You'll get grassed up. People are always try, trying to, you know, knock a good man down or find something out on someone. So, of course, they were very guarded. But, you know, I don't know anyone that's managed to run a double life as well as DC has. <laughs> he is one of the naughtiest people I know. Did oh, he and you get everybody drunk at the Race of Champions one year on the bus or something? Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, we, we got on this bus from the hotel. We were staying at the Shard. And literally, we had to be there. And, it, you know, we had to be at the, it was for the Friday, Friday night, I think it was. We had to be, be there at five o'clock. And we're like... Mate, it's going to take hours on this coach, and it did. We were on it for the best part of two hours. So after half an hour, I was sat near the front with DC, and we were stuck in this traffic jam. We spotted an off-license. We should probably at this point just clarify that DC, we're referring to David Coulthard, not Dan Camish. Sorry, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you've done that. Otherwise, you, you could have had a hell of a reputation. I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah. So we stopped, we, we were literally in this traffic jam. So DC hit the door button, you know, coach doors open. He said, come on, JP. So off we shot into the off license and basically spent as much as we could and grabbed as much beer and stuff as we could. And then made sure that every one of the drivers on the bus drank. On Who was the on the bus? Everybody. Who? Name some names. Uh, well, in fact, the only person who didn't have a drink was, was Vettel. But everyone else did. Um, Grosjean. Um, uh, Christensen. Yeah, Christensen. Uh, I mean, everybody. Uh, um, Dan Ricky. I mean, everybody. Everyone was getting into the sauce. And the closer we got, we were getting more and more drunk. And we literally arrived at, for the Friday night testing, I think it was. And we were all over the place. <laughs> apart, <laughs> apart from Sebastian, who was... Who was you know, very, very focused, very focused. Yeah. Let's bring in some, we've got some questions that the fans have sent in to us, so let's bring in some of those now. Um, Matt, this is one for you. Ian on Facebook, he wants to know, will we see Henry in the British Touring Car Championship anytime soon? Henry being your, your son, Henry, obviously. I'd, you know, I'd love that. Yeah, um, it's got to stack up, hasn't it? I'm in, I'm in a privileged position now, but I'm also in a sensitive position with, with Honda. Um, so it's and it's not cheap to do so i know jimmy got jimmy was lucky we're about james thompson he was lucky that he got into the the works box or one of the better teams and that sort of catapulted his his career jason was similar but jason had to fight his way in a bit harder but then he was into one of the best teams when i did it i had a long drawn out way of getting into one of the best teams and you know i've had a, a couple of opportunities to put henry in in one of the lower budget teams and I thought is it right for him you know I think it's good for his experience and everything but is it right for him you know um, so I, I hope so you know it's where we're going and what we're doing and where the championship is and all the rest of it there's, there's so many variables there but I, I hope so one day to continue the, the you know the, the generation. Would he have the legs on the old man? Oh, of course not. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. age and cunning shall I, shall I have a go outwitting youth and skill at that point so. <laughs> does he dye his hair like you do Matt or is he, is he not going into that oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
just literally moving on swiftly. No, no, no. It's only, it's only because my screen, for some reason, the, the camera quality was a little bit fuzzy. But now it's very clear. There's some, there's some colour on that. I think you, you let him on for twenty minutes. This is a podcast. Don't worry. I mean, have you ever really... seen him, Dan? Applying any stuff to his barn. Listen, grey beard. Do. You should be thankful. Grey that's not grey. The podcast. That's chrome. It's white. It's, it's chrome. White. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Next fan's question. Um, this is from James on Facebook, and actually Phil on Facebook asked a similar kind of thing, um, which basically says, um, "Any chance that you could now get your hands on this being Team Dynamics, get your hands on the third um, WSR TBL, um, and get that car running for a certain Mister Shedden." Dan, Matt, uh, discuss. Um, WSR are going to keep hold of that TBL for one. Uh, yeah. And they're, there's, there's, they're making noises about the car running at some point of the season. Um, it's all about, you know, unfortunately, everybody is pulling the belts in post, you know, during and post COVID. So the money's got to be there to back up with anything. And, you know, it's, it's, I think things are going to be very tight going forward for all of us. Um, so third car, never say never for the future. Uh, Flash is always part of the family and always will be. Um, and he's, he's available at the minute. So not at the moment, but never say never. <laughs> Nicely handled. Let's move on swiftly, shall we? Um, Caroline on Facebook wants to know, this is a good one. Uh, <laughs> which driver in the British Touring Car Championship do you secretly admire and why who wants to start answering that one uh it's got to be for me it's got to be um uh who would it be sonic the hedgehog for his marvelous hair and the ability <laughs> to look round corners are we talking tom chilton here yeah <laughs> and also i think also tom has the ability which is which is very very special to be able to re it's almost like you know like my computers at home i never turn them off you stay on, they go into quiet mode over the night. And, they're, they're, and then in the morning, they're kind of where they were the day before. Tom has this availability to just hit the reboot switch. <laughs> and wakes up the next day as if, not, as if whatever's happened in the day before has not ever happened. And it's just like a clean sh sheet. That's quite phenomenal. Nice. I'm being, being tongue-in-cheek there. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Dan, uh, what about you? Do you secretly admire someone, Jason? You can have a think of a proper answer while we get one from Dan. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously we have uh, Nicholas Hamilton on the grid, and I think you know what Nicholas has overcome in his life is, is pretty remarkable, really. You know, the fact he's even driving a racing car is, is testament to, to you know his, his work ethic and, 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 and what he's done. It's quite a remarkable story, really. Um, so fair play to him. I think that that, that deserves some recognition. Um, you know, Jason's Jason's story about you know how he got the Williams drive. I think that's that is amazing. Uh, you know, I've read that on a number of occasions about how he, how I, I still need to sit with Jason really and actually work out or discuss actually how he got it because there's sort of varying details of exactly what happened. The true story is in the book. My dad's reading the book at the minute, so instead of, buying it, buy it twice, it, instead of buying it twice, I'll. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah, yeah absolutely, I agree with that. <laughs> um, but obviously that's an amazing story, you know, to, to, to have had that, to, to go and do that and put yourself out there and, 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 and win him over essentially and put yourself into that drive at a time when Williams were just so incredible as the F1 team as well. Pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of guys with down the grid, you'd say. Um, I think everyone's got a story, haven't they? Absolutely. Gordon as well has got a great story, hasn't he? Yeah, Gordon really dug deep to make it all happen. Um, uh... There's a few guys now. I think you know what Tom Ingram's doing with, with Speedworks. I think he's, he's he's really cool. You know, he's been with that team for six years, seven years. Yeah, stuck together, worked at it. They become such a close knit unit, and and they look good. They look, you know, Toyota's backing the team now. Um, that's a really strong partnership that started years ago, and it's just it just seems to get stronger and stronger. Um, and yeah, there's lots of guys on the grid that are just working really hard. Jack Goff seems, you know, works really hard at getting sponsors together. Um, you know, he's relentless in how hard he works to put himself on the grid. And I, I admire that, I really do. What about you, Matt? Any secret little man crushes going on? 
What about man crushes? You 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 look on the grid for who could be good future and good, you know, and champions and all that. And you probably won't believe this. You know, I rate, I rate little Jake Hill. Uh, you yeah, would have thought that would all yeah. part last year. And I think he, he could, you know, in that uh, FK2 Civic, he could be a proper thorn in the side for us all uh, this year. I think he's he's all right, you know. And, okay, I had my little faux pas at Alton Park with him. But I, I, I liked him. I like him as a, as a person. And I think he's a good little driver, actually. Um, I was I was cheesed off on that day. But you, you move on. You know, he was... He was a bit nervous around me for a bit. And I went, what are you nervous for? You just move on, mate. You know, again, not taking it personally. I took it personally on the day. Um, We'd because, never have noticed. Um, because, well, it's, it's good for the camera. Wow. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> keep his helmet on. Uh, I had one with Anthony Reid years back. And um, I know if you're going to try and get someone, get them on the wrong camera. And Reid is, Reid is a beauty because he bites. And I remember I got into him and he, he bit like a gun. We ended up finishing coming out of the steward's office at 2.30 in the morning on, on the Monday morning. It was still going on then. But uh, yeah, at least Jake took it well. Dude, that leads me on to, nicely on to the next thing I was going to ask you, which was about... Actually, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold oh. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was being facetious. Do you know Oh, what? sorry. The one person I, I truly, truly did... Um, uh, Matt, like Matt said, it's not man crush, but God, did I rate him? Uh, was met was met menu actually, and you know I, I was after my debut in '97. The first three of three races, I genuinely stuck it on pole and beat Alan to it, and I started to have a little bit of a too big a spring in a step. And do you know what? He just turned the wick up, and it took me four or five months to get close. He was really, you know, I think back in those days, you know, late 90s, he was the best in the world. Really. But Jason, to, to be Quite fair, right. I, I can remember going to a BMW junior test in those days and the guys you were up against, they were walking back out of Formula 3000 cars. Yeah. Something super quick. You you did the similar route to us where you're coming, okay, you did a bit of single-seater stuff, but then you're coming from a one-mate, you're moving up. Yeah. So the world's coming you a lot faster and there's a lot more happening when... You know, it's a lot for the likes of Ivan and Menu and and those guys. They're coming down. Down here, yeah. Um, and so, it's it's easier for them. Their 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 programming of their speed of thought is already done. Mm. When us, we've got to you have to retrain yourself a bit. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't just him in car. It was the way he just went about his business. I mean, he's insanely political, uh, and and Caroline, his wife, was in that political thing it's just that every, every every little element and there's lots of facets if you like of all the little activities you've got to do and how you've got to behave in, in certain things it just had everything bolted down so beautifully it was really quite stunning yes. one thing i've always found fascinating working around racing drivers is the mind games that you play with each other obviously the fans get to see that the games that go on on track but there's so much goes on off track as well isn't there in terms of just trying to get get a bit of edge over and would you say that, that those are games that you have played do play oh uh, yeah absolutely it's all part of it all part yeah? of it yeah I can remember in 93, Patrick Watts put the Mazda on pole at Snetterton. And then the start was in the collecting area at the start. You've got John Clennon, Steve Soper, uh, Jeff Allen, all round him going, right, I'm coming down the inside. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to be here. So Patrick was wound up like a spring yeah. that he was nobody was going to get in front of him. He went off at the first corner. <laughs> <laughs> They'd done all the groundwork for him. It was... It was great to watch. When yeah. you came in as a newbie to the series, Dan, were you mindful of kind of having to put a marker down in terms of don't even think about it, guys? I am, you know, both on and off the track. I'm not to be played with, or is that how it worked for you? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because it's such a fine line between being aggressive and being over aggressive, and then also the other way and just being a pushover. Um, and I found year one, I found it quite hard to to walk that line. I was either I was either in the steward's office because I overstepped or I was coming back disappointed because I should have been tougher with, with um, whoever it was and, and let them off the hook a bit too easy. It's not easy to 
to just jump in and find that balance straight away, especially when you come from championships that just don't have the same level of, of, of contact, even though we're not meant to have contact, it's inevitable when you're running as close as we do in a pack. Um, and also cars that are kind of, kind of made for it as well, you know, they're not the fastest thing around one lap. The racing's kept very close, whether it's by the weight, by the, by the boost, whatever it might be. Um, and that's just the nature of touring cars. So yeah, it's, it's not easy. I'd like to think that I've sort of sussed it out a little bit now. And also, I've sussed, I know who I'm racing against. You know, you when I joined, I was not um, I was not really a touring car, well, several of the touring car driver, but I hadn't even come up in that room. I've not done Cleos or Minis or anything like that. I've not raced any of these guys before previously in my career. Um, so they had no idea who I was or what I was really about. And I, likewise, I didn't know them. So you start to get an idea of who you can race in a certain way, who to be wary of. Um, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll think the same about me. You know, the guys on the grid that don't mind going wheel to wheel and over the guys that think Dan Camish is a loose cannon, stay away from that's just That's just the way it is. So, yeah, it's just, it just takes a little bit of learning, to be honest. Um, what about off the track, though? When you walked into your first driver's briefing, so all the drivers obviously get together in, in the Toka bus, did you kind of feel like you had to go in there with a bit of a swagger? Because you do see some drivers who sort of tiptoe in, looking like they, they're sort of just overexcited to be there. And um, Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I think all racing drivers have a bit of an ego, but I, I always... I try no, to, you know, seriously? I, yeah, of course they do. <laughs> um, you might know a couple of guys who've got one. But... Um, <laughs> Is not just confidence being pushed out? It and, is confidence. And misconstrued. Of course it's confidence, but I, I you know, I'm, I'm sort of the opposite way. Whenever I get asked a question, you know, and I do it all the time on, on the weekends, you know, how well are you going to do all well, this, that and the other? I just underplay it, if anything. I say, I'll do my best and we'll see what comes. Then hoping that I go on to win the bloody thing. What I don't do is go in there saying I'm the best things in sliced bread. Uh, this is going to go amazing and then actually not have a great day and have to explain why. So that's kind of always been my I have approach. to beg to differ on that, Dan. That's not what you said at uh, your interview for The Drive. No, I said I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And you've been, you've been bad not to give me the job. <laughs> what, what did I said earlier, Lou, about drivers talking <laughs> there, there, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> What about as a, as, a, as, a, as a more established driver? Do you kind of pick off the youngsters as they come in and think, right, I, I can have him, I can have him kind of thing? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, right. Um, um, no, you give them the due. I think you need to respect because when I got into it, I didn't have any respect from the likes of Ravaglia, Chicotto and those guys. And um, so I give them respect until the problem you've got is people come out of other championships where there's maybe four or five alpha males, and they can intimidate the other drivers. Probably in BTC, you've got 30 alpha males, and they come in as an alpha male, and they go, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set my mark, and I'm gonna set my place, and they'll give you a bit of elbow, and so you have to give them a bit of elbow back to let them know that they can't do it. And it ends up, it can get out of hand, but <laughs> that's where you, you draw the line in the sand, and then they learn going forward. Uh, have you done the same, Jason? Oh, no, I agree with Matt. You know, anyone that come, comes in, you know, the first marker put down is respect. Because it's just the right thing to do. It is, it is the right thing to do. Ashley um, was a good one. He came and he's very fast, very capable, but he's, he's quite an aggressive driver. And he came in and started dishing out. So there was, a, there was a two or three, four drivers who came to me and go, right, his car's marked. This was in his who first was it? Who season. did you say? Ash. 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 Yeah. Ash. Ash yeah, yeah. His cards marked. So because you, you don't have to get them back. I mean, like Gabrielli Tarquini was the master of that. You you do something to him, and he wouldn't get you back that race, that week, or that month. It, it could be coming, two years though. down the line. It was coming. It was though. coming. And Fabrizio, <laughs> Fabrizio yeah. was the same. I mean, it, yeah. no, it came pretty. It came fast with Fabrizio. Uh, Fabrizio, either the next the next lap. <laughs> well, certainly before the end of the weekend, it was going to come back and bite you in the arm. I, I had one with Fabrizio where we were we were at hammer and tongs in European touring cars. And he was in the factory Alpha, which was built like a um, a tank. And um, he, I'd had run-ins with him, and we got we went to Harama, and I said with the big drivers briefing. And at the end, his English was pretty poor then. And I waited for him at the back of when the drivers briefing was over. And I said, Fabrizio, I just wish you all the best for the weekend and. Just do me one favour, stay away from me. Stay away from me and we'll be fine. And he's going, huh, huh? 
And Monica Sips is team manager. She understood every word of it. So he, she rattled off to him and tell him what I've been saying. So he flies off the handle. She's flying off the handle. I said, no, 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 it's no, no problem. Just stay away from me and we'll get on great. Otherwise, I'm going to come, I'm going to get you. And if I don't get you in the car, I'm going to come and find you. So he qualified. <laughs> six foot five bloke. Yeah. He qualified two rows behind me on the grid. I never even got out the grid box. He jumped the start. As soon as the lights went on, he jumped the start. The last thing I remember seeing is the underneath of his Alpha coming over the top of my car. <laughs> you and I, I never even, it took, took the whole complete left side off the car. And I, you know, I couldn't find the, the afterwards. I was looking for him everywhere. But you ended up being pretty good mates, didn't you? Yeah, I think when he came to, we didn't get on in, in Europe at all. Uh, and then when he came to, um, to the UK, he didn't know anybody and I was a familiar face. So, and I'm, you know, I'm a great one. Let bygones be bygones and, you know, you, you do move on. So, um, yeah, we struck up a friendship there and then we were teammates for two years as well. And we had a, we had a scream as teammates. That was really good fun. What about the youngsters who are coming into the British Touring Car Championship now? Um, any, any sort of, we've talked about people you like in the championship, but it, I suppose drivers approach touring cars in a different way now. 20 years ago, youngsters all wanted to be Formula One drivers, and it was almost as if British Touring Car Championship was a, was a fallback if they didn't make it. Whereas it seems to me like they're more kind of aspirational in working towards touring cars. I mean, Dan, you're the youngest of the crew here. What's, what's your view on that amongst your sort of contemporaries? Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, Formula One now has become just such a, a pipe dream for, for pretty much all drivers, I think, unless you are picked up from a very early age. Um, and even then, there's, a, there's a, probably a reason you've been picked up. It's not always what it seems, um, unless you've got a boatload of cash and, an, and a boat, an extra boat after that, carrying even more cash. You're not going to get there. Um, a flotilla. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's um, it's incredible what's happened to the single seater route. It's basically died, as far as I can tell. But it was even when I was in it about six, seven years ago, it was a million pounds for Formula Three, um, and I don't think it's changed now. I'm sure it's the same. Um, and until we get a grasp of that sort of bringing the cost down and making it more accessible to more people. Uh, the Formula One dream, I think. It's too unachievable. Over. It's unachievable now. Uh, it is, it uh, is. Harry Soden said to me, you know, he manages drivers. He used to work for us at uh, Dynamics. He manages drivers now. And um, George Russell is one of his boys. And you've got to be either very lucky or if you are paying your way in, which is more than half the grid of paying in. He, used, he said, I used to say, you've got to be a multi-millionaire to get into Formula One. He says, I'm wrong. You've got to be a billionaire now. Yeah, because when, when Max was in there, and I, I, I remember seeing Graham Chilton, uh, Max Chilton was in there in uh, Marussia, and Graham was, and it, Graham's a very wealthy individual, and even he was crying about it. He was, he was feeling the pain. So, um, yeah, I think touring cars is, one, it's got a higher profile now with the TV and everything about it, um, and two, it's, it's, it's an achievable goal for people. To, it, is, um, it is it is achievable and also it's the one place in the uk where if you are going to sell sponsorship and you are going to try and make that angle work then it, it's doable you know it has eight hours of tv on a sunday um good crowds um you know it's it's everything about it kind of works um hospitality can be great in terms of selling sponsorship and actually creating a commercial uh, element around it, touring cars is the only place to be. Nothing competes with it. Nothing competes. Um, and that makes it viable for, for guys that are trying to find the funding and are working hard at it. You know, the likes of you know, Jack Goff or Jake Hill, or it might be, there's loads of people down the grid. Or if you come in at it from a more commercial side, you've got maybe like Dynamics, who have got commercial partners like Halfords, Uwasa, etc. Um, it, it can work. It, it can work. Um, so that, and that's why lots of guys now, they they don't even bother going down a single seat or they know that it's a dead end so they jump straight out of it as quickly as possible or even don't get it to begin with at all straight into a mini or a clio and their their goal is to be a, a touring car driver or they go down a gt route a bit like i did get yourself in a porsche and you try to get yourself into germany and um where the manufacturers are and you see if you can make it as a gt driver um that, that's about your options at the moment unless yeah. i say you're very well you're very well supported um and you've got the money to kind of get to the fringes of Formula One, but even if you get to the fringes, there's no guarantee you'll get in. Um, 
it's, 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 it's amazing actually that we've, we've got the guys in it first of all. We have you know, Alex Alban, Russell, Norris, all from the same sort of generation, all about the same age, and they've all made it in, um, which is remarkable, really. I, I was, I used to see them, you know, at the local car track when I was you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, they're all great then, but to think they've actually all gone on to, to, to be in Formula One is quite amazing. But those for those that, that those that don't go the Formula One route, I think it really is British Touring Car Championships gain to have so much young talent coming coming up through. We've not got long left, and it would be remiss of me, um, Jason, not to ask you briefly just about the fact that we're not going to see you on the grid this year. How difficult was it to make that decision? Uh, do you know what? I, 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 it, had it been. 15 years ago, it would have been a much harder decision to make. Um, you know, and I, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't the catalyst to it. Um, or, the, you know, the, the embryonic decision didn't, you know, or that concept didn't begin with me. It began with, with all of us, actually. Um, you know, we're all racers and, and, and I want to be racing. And I've only two years missed the BTCC in 02 and 03 and not missed a year since. Um, so of course, I don't want to. I, I don't I don't want to not be on the grid. But, you know, thinking in, in the round and looking at all of our partners and all our sponsors and projecting ourselves forward in time, um, I think the risk was too big to take to find ourselves in November having not not delivered what we promised we were going to deliver to sponsors in terms of hospitality and you know event numbers um you know a marketing plan set out throughout the year where they can you know they can exploit it and run promotions where it's all compressed and that's on on the very best day on the very worst day where it, where we all go back down to lockdown or one of the members of the team gets ill um it would have been a disaster so it just was too big a risk to take where we arrive in november not delivered people aren't satisfied and then we're out going what about 21 just made no sense to us so mm. you know regrettably because of the way our everything's all structured and we got we got buy-in from all of our partners that was the decision we came up with and on a personal level whilst i'm uh, whilst I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to enjoy the, the the fact we're not racing this year, and I'm going to miss it because, you know, like these other two guys here, like everybody on the grid, you know, even at, even at mine and Matt's age, it's still massively important to us. You know, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning. Um, but in all in all honesty, I, I'm not in the right frame of mind actually. You know, we we've you know kids have missed six months of school. We've now moved back to Oxford. Um, we're not sure what, what's going to happen with the kids at school. How are they going to go back? Um, boarding now, it looks like, might not be allowed to happen. There's all sorts of stuff, you mm. know, and the family need me. Yeah. They, they, you know, they, they, they need dad and they need, you know, because I, I run everything, if you like. So runs the girls and the house and all the rest of it, but I take care of the rest. So if I'm going to be away so much of August, September, on a personal level, whilst I would sacrifice that if all the other elements were right, because ultimately I think, you, you know, we're all selfish to a certain degree because all the other elements aren't right. It's so much of a risk. I just wasn't prepared to, you know, it was an easy, an easier decision perhaps yeah. for me to go out. You know what? Yeah. I think that's the right thing to do, yeah. but yeah, Fair I'm going to miss it. I am going to miss it. But you know, on, on the plus side, it does get guarantee we're going to be there in 2021 because we, we literally just have, We've got our agreements out. We've crossed out 2020 and we've put 2021. Well, it's so definitely going to be... Everything's all in place. It's definitely going to be quieter with uh, without you around. Are you looking forward to a Plato-free zone, Matt, or you can miss having him around? You know, if you turn the clock back 10 or 12 years, I'd have paid good money not to see him. <laughs> <laughs> I really would have dug deep. How yeah. much? There was, there was one time he was when he was with Seat, and I think he was talking to about going to the world championship and driving that i thought absolutely brilliant i was i was going to ring him up and put in a good word for him. <laughs> but now it's he's a, he's you know he's he's got a, 
I was going to say an old head on his shoulders, but he's a good, I, I regard him as a good mate now. And, um, you know, we'll miss him. I think the championship will miss him. And uh, I'll miss him. He's a good ally, I think. Uh, and a good sounding block against um, some of the other idiots we've got around us. He's a good mate. Now, I think those are words that a lot of people would be, would be quite surprised to hear. But um, So you will you know, miss do, Jason. Do you know what? I'm not sure anyone with a brain would be surprised to hear that, actually. Anyone else would clearly understand from, you know, the interviews we've done over the years that, like Matt says, we, you know, we, we do, we speak often. Uh, we always bump into each other at the races, which is something we would never do in, in days gone by. And we get on great, actually. You know, I trust what comes out of Matt's, Matt's mouth and vice versa. Um, probably because we're not knocking lumps out of each other at the front end of the grid at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we get on great. We get on great. Well, it, it's definitely, as I say, it's going to be quieter without you around. Hopefully we'll see you at, at some of the races. Um, Matt and Dan, I will definitely see you at Donington. But before that, we're going to be back um, with our final episode of, of Gridwalk Talk. So um, we hope that you'll all join us for that. Uh, but that's Who's it, that going to be with? Who, who, ah, we've actually got uh, a driver you talked about earlier on, um, but I'm not going to tell you who it is, so people will have to tune in to find out. Oh. So bye from oh. bye from me, and bye from all you guys. Yeah, again. good luck, good luck, Thanks, guys. Luke. I'm probably going to come along to the first one anyway, Don Donington, to just see what's going on. Yeah, Jace, take care. Cheers, keep guys. It, keep it sunny side up. <laughs> bye, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.